nice to help with acquisitions. You know, and you go into a, a boardroom and they say, okay, here's our company. And I'd walk out to the warehouse and talk to the warehouse guys. How's this thing working? Are you happy here? You learn a lot more talking to them and you do the guys that are giving your presentation, right? In business, you want to consistently attract incredible people, grow at an accelerated rate, and create a unique competitive advantage. The goal, it isn't to just be the best, but is to be the favorite, the favorite in the eyes, the mind, and the heart of your customer. To stay competitive in today's world, you want to build a business where people want to come to work and where they have a chance to be great at doing what they love the most. And you accomplish that by leading through values. Because when you lead through values, people excel, profits increase, and your brand becomes more human. Now make sure you download your free guide at leadthroughvalues.com. I'm James Mayhew, your Chief Culture Officer, and you're listening to Lead Through Values. Well, welcome back to this episode of Lead Through Values podcast. I'm James Mayhew, and I'm your host and your coach. And, and my guest today is Martin Harshberger. And Martin and I had a chance to connect via LinkedIn, which is where I meet so many fabulous people. And Martin was telling me that he spent 15 years as an executive with a Fortune 500 company. He spent another 15 years as the CEO of a different company. And for the last 15 years, he's been consulting. And so, Martin, it's wonderful to have you on the show today. Uh, tell us a little bit about you and, and your background and how you got into leadership and, and your, your business journey. Well, it's a long journey. After the three, 45 years, you can, you can tell I've been around a while. Um, actually, I started with a small communications company out of school that was acquired by a Fortune 500 company. And I'm, they uh, moved me into the parent company and I moved up through the ranks there. Um, how I got into my own business, I, I did turnarounds for the Fortune 500. It moved me every couple of years to some department or division or something that needed fixing. And it was it was interesting. I, I got to move around a little bit and see the country. Um, but one of the one of the problems I fixed for them was a logistics oriented problem, inventory levels. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, um, everybody's got this problem. So with a partner, we sat down and developed a. a, a technology that said, you know, in an optimum world, what would it look like? And we, we actually developed that software and started our own company, a, a value-add logistics company in Memphis, uh, near the FedEx hub. And I ran that for, uh, for a while. And, uh, uh, did really well, I think. Uh, we, we built about 50 million in the States, and we had a, a subsidiary in uh, Europe, Western Europe, in Germany, that we partnered with HP over there to handle all their uh, all their printer returns for Western Europe. And uh, I was going to retire a couple times uh, and uh, just didn't take. I mean, I've been working all my life, so I don't know what else to do myself. I played a little golf. I lived on a golf course, but not, not enough to take. So uh, I spent yeah. the last 15 years working with uh, various companies uh, in strategy and strategy execution. Tell me a little bit about your your background there with developing people and, and how you were seeing culture evolve at that time within business. Well, I think culture's taken on a whole bigger role than it did uh, 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, you know, realistically, when I started my company, I started with four employees. You know, I wound up with 550 in, in Memphis. So 
people are critical. Let's let's face it, and and we did a lot of things to try to try to make it more uh, more than a job, if you will. Uh, you know, like I took a personal responsibility. I had 550 employees. I figured each of those was probably two or three people, so I knew that. 1500 people were relying on jobs from that company so i mean i always took that personally and, and i tried to involve them as much as i could in the, in the, we'd have quarterly meetings for everybody you know we talk about finances where we are and where we're going that kind of thing and i thought that was important because at a fortune my family you don't get that so i said if i went on my own i want to do it differently and i really tried to do that uh, i think what really makes culture so important today is social media you know uh, it, it, if you look at Glassdoor or any of those sites out there, if you've got a poor culture or poor employee relationships or suppliers, or whatever it is, it gets broadcast. You know, so I mean, it, it's not a soft thing where you get to a plan and say, what's your company culture? And you'll throw out a couple of things, and integrity or whatever, and that's, that's it. You better live it if you put it out there because the world's going to know one way or the other. If it's a great place to work, you'll attract great people and, and they'll say that on social media. And if it isn't, they'll say that too. Well, I think that's so true. And, and, um, you know, the world of everything's at our fingertips now has, has certainly heightened that, but you bring out a great point. And, and I, I just like to, to dig into that just a little bit further, which is if you create a great place to work, you attract great people. And then what's been your experience on the, on the, on the external side of that? Like, what has that done for a customer experience for the customer service side of things? Well, that's a great, great question because your customer interface isn't your CEO. It's the, the folks that are seeing them every day. So if they buy into the organization and the vision and the, and the culture of the organization, they're going to portray that to the customer. And if they don't, they're going to show that as well. So, I mean, it's, 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 that's the transparency. I always use the, uh, the rental car thing as an example, you know, where you talk to, we used to have so many commercials about rental cars and, how great it was. And you walk up to a counter somewhere at 10 o'clock at night and <laughs> somebody, somebody's not exactly there the way they portrayed it on television. So what, what's your, what's your opinion of that company? It's right there. It's, it's in your face right there. That is a classic example. I think many of us can relate to that because this is, this is one of the things where um, I have a lot of friends that are in marketing or in branding and messaging and they're, they're excellent at it. And one of the things that I'll, I enjoy talking with them about is, is if you're going to go to the length to help them create this persona that your experience is going to be great, your service is going to be great, the product is great and all these things. And if it doesn't match or when it doesn't match to my personal experience, when I've, I've got there, you've got this huge gap. And I've just found so often that, that we can put lipstick on a pig, but that pig still is a pig. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and, and so, and so that's why when I think about leading through values and the work that I do, and I'm interested in the work that you've done too, is, is you've got to create a place where people want to come to work, where people enjoy it, where people have an opportunity, not just to, to earn money. Well, I mean, that's, that's certainly important, but also an opportunity to do what they do best. And, and that, that to me is at the heart of what culture is. Well, and that ties back to leadership. I mean, uh, you know, it all it all plays together. And uh, you're, but you're exactly right. And today's workforce is different than when I came out of school. And you know, we played football. We had leather helmets, probably, but <laughs> that's what you think. <laughs> Not exactly. 
but we were different. I mean, my family uh, worked in the mills, you know, and they, they worked there for generations. And you came out, you had a job, you worked, and that was it. Well, uh, people coming out today are a lot different. I mean, we, we've created a temporary workforce back in the 80s where we started outsourcing. And, and now you've got a workforce that, that looks at temporary as normal. Mm. Almost, you know, so they don't expect to be there for 10 or 15 years. Right. You're going to retain those people is creating an environment that they want to be there because they don't want to be there. They're not going to be period. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the whole, whole dynamic has shifted in the last 15 years. And and a part of it, we did it to ourselves by the temp temporary labor. Uh, You know, here in Tupelo, we have a a big uh, Toyota plant, uh, about 10 miles from me just it's been here about 10 years but it's uh it, it they, they staff it primarily with temps until they become full-time so okay. the attitude is you know if i'm not here i'll be one of the suppliers i mean i can go anywhere i want to go sure so it's it's a different environment and people have to recognize that yeah yeah and you're so right the the younger generations um uh, longevity or loyalty to working for one place. Like my father-in-law worked um, worked for a large company in, in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for over 30 years. Um, I think it was actually close to 40 when he retired, but but that's not common. That's not what, what people do anymore. And one of the things that the best companies are learning with their employees is this. We may have you for two years or four years or six years, and they, they need to create an environment that, gets the best out of them when they're there, which also serves the employee well too. So if the employee has a chance to really grow, learn new skills, develop new things, if they end up leaving and taking it somewhere else, in, in some way you have to celebrate that. You have to honor that because, because that's, a, that's a mark. You, you helped contribute to that. The beauty of it is, is that because people are talking then when they leave there, and it is it yeah. is creating that persona that this is a company that I want to go to work for. And so so the hole that's left there, there's probably a nice pipeline of excellent people to jump into that versus uh, a hole that's left when somebody leaves quickly that you're like, who are we going to settle for? I mean, that that's almost what some companies do, correct? Yeah, correct. Absolutely correct. That's right. Yeah. And especially high turnover company. I mean, you're constantly losing productivity because you're constantly training and, and uh, weeding out people. I mean, it, it's, it's become right now. I think the biggest problem people have, or the companies have is people. Uh, clients I have that have turned down new business have limited growth because they can't keep a workforce staffed. And they're not necessarily bad companies. It's just a different environment. Sure. Uh, if there's options, they don't stay there. Absolutely. So you've already mentioned it. It's 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 a leadership um, issue. It's a leadership responsibility. A a leadership burden. I, I think all of those apply. So when you say why leadership coaching doesn't work, let's go there and and like talk to me about what what your experiences were and why you would make a, a claim like that. But it's not just leadership. It's any change initiative, strategy. You know, I work with, with strategies, and and companies pay me to develop a strategy, and then I have to drag them along to execute their own strategy. Uh, but leadership is, is one in particular because it's usually a one and done. It's a, a workshop or a seminar or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever, and, and they're in and they're out. And what I've learned with strategy is I have to stay there as an accountability coach almost to say, okay, we, we meet regularly and say, you told me you're going to do this. You didn't do it. Why didn't you do it? Let's move on. Um, what happens is the leadership 
most of the programs, and I've been through myself, I don't know, over the years, 10 of them, and they're great. I mean, they really are. They're great. You, you feel good. The, 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 the logic's there. Uh, you might take away a few things, but as soon as you get back into the organization, uh, unless you change the organization, basic uh, basic layers of the organization, they don't, it doesn't take. Uh, I read an article, I think I told you this in a call, but it was a, one that sticks with me. Harvard Business Review, they said, basically, leadership development doesn't work. And they said, the reason is the strength of the people being trained isn't enough to overcome the inertia of the organization to stay the same. And that's exactly mm -hmm. right. So you've got to get down and look deeper into the processes and, and the interdepartmental dependencies and that kind of thing to see why it's not taking. Uh, you just can't throw it out there and like any other change initiative, say, okay, we're going to have 100% quality day. Here's the program. Well, unless something changes, it doesn't get, doesn't get implemented. So you mentioned you you mentioned the the need to do a little accountability and and just to make sure that the strategies that are in place are being executed. So so what's the solution then if if the programming like that isn't working? Um, what what are you finding was it was an answer to that? Well, I, I don't know. The way I way I solved it with strategy is is rather than I started out doing the same thing. We're going to do a strategic plan, and I come back in three months and see what they did, and then I realized they didn't do anything until I came back. <laughs> so we, I built in a pricing structure and a, and a an account uh, a execution strategy uh, based on a retainer. I'd, I'd meet with them weekly if I had to, or or, or monthly, um, and I'd go down into the organization when they had a problem and start identifying what their underlying cause was. And I think some of that has to happen with some of these other issues. And it's difficult with leadership because a lot of times it's a top guy. <laughs> so when you start digging at the organization, you can't go back and say, well, I found a problem. It's you. You know, it's a little bit more difficult to do that. <laughs> but, but I see that all the time. You can see that when you start doing strategy, when you try to pull out uh, uh, like a SWOT analysis, you start, start talking about weaknesses. And you look around the organization and only the CEO is talking. So I'll try to pull all the other people there. And you can see right away if it's they're not going to talk, it, it, it becomes a one-person plan. That's not a good plan. That's my job to fix that. Well, same thing happens with leadership. If you don't understand the dynamics, <clears throat> you don't look at the relationships, and you don't look at underlying processes and so on, it doesn't take no change initiative does. Oh, this this is gold. I, I hope our listeners are enjoying what you're saying because – um, a couple of things stood out to me as you were saying that the first was you're talking about you, you going there and then diving into the action. And that's just one of the things that, that, uh, I hope that, that, that people really do take away from this is leaders need to get close to where the action is happening. Yeah. Um, if you're relying on it from the helicopter view, the 30,000 foot view, however you like to say it, and you're relying on information to come to you but you're not seeing it firsthand, you are missing out on some of the most vital, some of the most critical knowledge that's happening. You're missing dynamics around people and their relationships. You're missing dynamics around, um, again, like you said, with weaknesses or what are the opportunities? And maybe it's even operationally you're seeing, you know, when you get close to things, you see like, why are we doing it this way? Or, or you're maybe asking that question and, and then your job as that leader uh, is to listen to what people are saying because you know the people that are closest and they're doing the work are yeah. the ones that are coming up with the ideas to like we could do this better but they won't let us that's kind of like the the old they thing 
And that's what I was doing. But I, and that's something the leader should have been doing. But I get down and I spend time in the pack before. I mean, I enjoy it. That's why I do it. Sure. Uh, but then you bring it, I bubble it back up. And because it was coming from an outsider, it had it had some semblance of credibility, I guess. But but I look at the management team and say, why aren't you doing this? Why isn't it not? So it's the same with leadership. It, it, why aren't you changing? Well, there's reasons, but nobody's talking about it. Yeah. And and so what, what are some of the reasons why you, you discovered that people weren't talking about it? Was it a, was it out of fear? Was it part of the culture that, you know, they don't really, they say they want to know, but they don't really want to know. So what, what are some of the reasons well, you that's ran a great into? Point, Cause you know how many cultures are like that? They say they want to know and they really don't want to know. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a common problem. They're saying, yeah, I really want to know that, but they get upset when you tell them this is what's happening because they don't want to deal with it. You know, it, I, I tell my wife, she works at a big company now and she'll talk about issues. And I say, don't tell them about issues. They don't want to solve uh, because it just puts you in a position. You're becoming an, uh, an adversary because they truly don't want to solve. They don't want to deal. With uh, and I think that's common. I think you get to a certain level. Uh, one of the things I did as a CEO, I, I spent a lot of time on the floor. I mean, because I, I, I would go out and, and touch things and, and I felt I needed to do that. Because when I had eight people, I did it. When I got to 500, I didn't know their names, but I still wanted to know I was interested in what they were doing. I still wanted to know I was looking at what they were doing. Mm -hmm. it, yeah. was, it was dependent on both of us to make that work. And I think a lot of people don't do that. Years ago, um, uh, at, at the company that I was working with, and I moved into the executive role, I was chief culture officer. And, uh, so that at the time there was also a chief financial officer and we had our chief executive officer who was also the founder of the company. And, um, I just, I penned out some things that I, that I said, if we're going to make this work and, and, and we're going to continue to have culture match or lead the pace that we're growing, which was incredibly fast, we're going to have to do a few things really well. And I said, one of the things that we're going to have to do really well is we're going to have to get out of our office because don't ever discount the value of the CEO, I don't care how many people are in the company, walking through an area, shaking hands, talking to people, and truly listening to them, and and asking things like, do you have what you need? What yeah. could we do better, right? Not hard it, questions. It, yeah. And it, you know, it benefits both of you. I mean, it benefits the employee because they say, well, they really care. And, you know, here's, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm the founder, I own stock in the company, I want to know that. I want to fix it. And then, yeah. you know, go back to the manager and say, hey, guys, you know, you can't, it's a fine line. You can't go back and beat up the manager, but you got to say, look, part of your job is to go out and do that and bring that to me. If you're not getting it mm -hmm. fixed, you got to let me know. So you got to coach your management team to say it's okay to hear things uh, rather than hide them. And that's what happens. You know, that as well as I do. And I think that that takes us back into the heart. And I, I anybody that's done any, any surveys, they always find the number one issue or challenge or opportunity, however you want to frame it within a business is we can improve how we communicate. And, and I think that there is a gap there between, you know, employees or frontline workers are seeing opportunities. They're seeing things that could go better and maybe they're letting management know and management maybe can't act on it or chooses not to, or doesn't know how to like take that to the next level. There could be some other, just depending on the complexity or the, I guess maybe the depth of the of the layers of management there could be. It only takes one person to break that, you know, be a bad link in that chain, right? That's right. If you can't do it, you owe an explanation as to why you can't do it. You know, perfectly. I yes. 
I understand it's a great idea, but I can't do it. Here's why. It, it, because it's going to affect these other three things. And, you know, and that's better than just blowing it off and not, not feed, no feedback. So I don't know. There's, it's a lot of common sense stuff. It really is. Uh, that's what I say, though, back to leadership doesn't work. You can't go in in a three days workshop or a five day workshop and change that. You've got to you've got to you've got to start from the bottom and come back up. That is absolutely right. That is absolutely right. So so now when you're consulting with people, um, uh, the, these are strategies then that you're passing on and that you're teaching. Uh, you know, I always talk about when you do it. Mean, to me, that's a shift in culture what you would be teaching right there because I, the way I frame up culture is it's all about performance. This is how we get stuff done around here. And so if you're going in and you're working with different layers of leaders and managers to do these things, you, you are shifting culture in there. Um, does, that takes a long time. Like, do you have a perspective on, on time it takes to like institute some of those things? What's been your experience with that, Martin? Well, that depends on, <clears throat> obviously, it depends on the leader, too. I mean, if he's receptive to it or she's receptive to it, mm. wants you to do it, it shortens the time frame dramatically. But one instance, I'll be honest, I had a CEO that hired me, and he was the problem. He actually was replaced as a result of, of what we were trying to do because the chairman said, look, why isn't it getting done? I had to tell him. Uh, you know, it, it was a, it, it was a, you know, I won't get into too much detail, but it, he was the issue. Uh, you're never going to make that change. So you, if, if, if the top management team is receptive, they just don't know how to do it in a lot of cases. It's like strategy. You think, well, everybody has strategy. No, they don't. They don't know how to do it. But if they're receptive to it, they, they get a lot out of it. It's the same with culture. It's the same with leadership. If they're receptive to change, they'll change. If they aren't, you can run into the wall a million times. It's not going to change. So, so one of the things that always intrigues me when I have a guest on is, is to find out like, how did you learn these things yourself? I mean, was it, was it, um, did you have some great mentors? Did you have some great leaders that came alongside you? Maybe you had bad examples and you said, well, I'll never do it that way. Or like, how did you pick these things up? Uh, it's a, that's a great question. You're trying to think how to answer that. Uh, I think it's probably a combination. You know, I did have some great mentors, uh, I had some bad examples. I mean, you know, I've been around a long time, but a lot of it's just common sense. I, I started, you know, uh, I, I didn't start as a, an executive. I started down in the down in the floor like everybody else, worked my way up through it. And I know what people respond to. You know, I know how I responded when somebody asked me a question they really want to know the answer. Uh, you know, it, it, it builds your, uh, your engagement. Uh, so I guess just I just picked it up over the years, but a lot of it was because I I didn't come out of college and go into an executive job and never touch the product. You know, sure. I, came up, I came up through the ranks. So so in your current capacity as a consultant and mentor and and the other things that you're doing, uh, what does that look like for you these days? Um, uh, just just from the work, what what kinds of things are you in, in, impressing or imparting? the knowledge that you've learned with, with uh, people that you're working with? Well, I, I bundle everything under strategy. I, I even stopped calling it strategy. I call it repeatable business development. Um, okay. Everybody wants, pro everybody wants sales. Everybody wants profitable sales. How do you get that? Uh, you have a plan, you have a business plan. And <clears throat> so I, I wrap it all on the strategy and, and uh, then, then out of that falls out leadership always falls out by the way it always does at some some level if it's not the top person there's some level leadership will fall out of that need but um 
I guess that's it. I mean, I, 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 I take it with, uh, with the execution because I like to get down and, and I'll go down to machine operators because uh, I, I enjoy that. I mean, I've been out, I don't know, any kind of different factories in the world, you know, I've been all over the place. And I'll talk about how, how you like it here. What's going on? I used to help with acquisitions, you know, and you go into a, a boardroom and they say, okay, here's our company. And I'd walk out to the warehouse and talk to the warehouse guys. How's this thing working? Are you happy here? You learn a lot more talking to them and you do the guys that are giving your presentation, right? Well, let me, let me ask you a follow-up question with that because that's, I've had some of those experiences myself and um, <clears throat> people aren't always really willing to be forthcoming when you're doing those things, because there's a certain amount of trust, I think that they, that they want to have, or a certain amount of security that they want to have. When you go in and you're, you're working with, you know, um, operator on, you know, machine operator, and you're asking them like, how's it going? Well, you know, what do you like about your job? And in any of those kind of probing questions, do you get that little smile from time to time? Like, do you oh, yeah. really want to know? Absolutely. And how do you get, how do you get them to really share with you, truth well the way i do it and yeah, number one it's not a one and done visit and the other is i usually use humor you know i'll i'll, I'll start a dial i usually pick on people <laughs> that i can uh, create some kind of uh dialogue with them and they realize i'm not an idiot or a, a mean guy and and uh, visit them two or three times and just get them to open up i mean they'll show me kids pictures and stuff and i think okay i'm there so uh but yeah, I mean, just become a person, you know, I mean, I, it's, I'm, I'm not any better than they are because they're dirty and I'm not at this point in time, you know, and you got to right. know that. Do you find that they're more willing to be forthcoming and honest and open with you than they would say one of their own managers if, if the manager was to ask the same questions? Absolutely. Because I'll take that information back. I don't tell them where I get it and they don't know it. And, and you're exactly right. They do. And now, again, what's that? It's a communications issue. It's a leadership issue, something. But yeah, yeah. Often it's you hit on the head. They'll tell me things that I'm by else. Yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 segue that I want to make here next is, um, you know, this is I call this podcast "Lead Through Values," and and I do believe that we lead through values in the absence of rules, in the absence of a policy. When we have to make decisions around people or strategy or whatever it is, we fall back on our value system, and so. I guess the, the question that I would like to ask you is, is did, did you ever define values in your company or did you work with a set of values either for you personally or, and, or then organizationally? Uh, let me think back. It's been a while. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did have some values, uh, integrity, obviously, because uh, one of the things we had, I had a quarter million, yeah, quarter million, 250 million in inventory in my building. that didn't belong to me. It was consignment dealing with other people so we had a lot of security there and i and i, I communicated the need for that security uh, for insurance purposes if nothing else it's not that interesting employees um, but integrity was important uh, fairness you can talk about fairness all you want but you got to treat everybody the same um, but i think <clears throat> i'm trying to think of the one major thing i guess it would be just communications you know yeah you know, I, I, I made it a point Example, HR uh, director at the time came in. And she said, <clears throat> I want to start a thing I call Breakfast of the CEO. And I was always a little bit um, embarrassed about 
the title, CEO. I mean, I was had to grow into it, to be honest with you. And I thought, that's stupid. Why do these people want to come in early and have, you know, and I didn't want to do it. And she, she, she made me do it. Well, that was the best thing I ever did. She'd pull 10 or 15 people randomly once a month, bring breakfast in, and we'd sit and talk. And uh, that was that was a really valuable experience for me as well as them because I got to see I'm not a, you know, not an ogre. <laughs> And but they would open up and we'd have a dialogue and and uh, my managers luckily weren't threatened by it. Uh, it started out they were thinking what are they going to hear? But but we used it as a, a constructive thing and say okay let's uh, what I do is involve the manager that was if it was an issue I'd involve him in the in the in the fix uh, I wouldn't go around him so that he he became the the hero I guess is the way word to put it. Uh, but they got to realize that, that, that I was getting information they weren't getting and they were fixing it. So there's ways to do it. I wouldn't have done that on my own. I, I was embarrassed to do it, but I mean, I did it for three or four years and I really enjoyed it. I, I'm sure that that, that got mileage, uh, you know, just, just with the all around, um, being able to do that. One of the things that, uh, that, that we did, um, at, at the last corporate place that I worked, I was working with that CEO that I referred to earlier is, um, after about 90 days of a new person joining the team, uh, he and I and that new person would would meet one-on-one and, uh, well, I guess not truly a one-on-one since there's three of us in there, but my job was to kind of observe and listen and and it was his opportunity then to say, hey, these are the things that that are really important to me about this business. And he would he would bring up our core values at the time and he would communicate to, to all of us, you know, me and the audience just kind of listening in that room, but I'm, but I'm watching his interaction with the employee and I'm watching the employees. Um, I don't know. You, you could just see the buy-in that, that they would get as he would explain these things. And then it wasn't one-sided. It was an opportunity for them to, to express, um, either maybe it was a little bit of gratitude that they had for the opportunity, or it was to say, Hey, this, this has been great. I, I really hope that I get a chance to learn about this. You know, so it was a, it was an open and friendly conversation that actually became the spark for a project that took several months of, of my work and my team's work to do, which was we started to capture the essence of our company culture. So we had values before that, but we had never really, found a way to operationalize them. So one of the values that we had was think big and make it happen. And I had a, um, I had a, uh, I guess it was our, our head of, of our warehouse, our shipping and receiving area. And he came into my office one day and he said, you know, I love this value. Think big and make it happen, but I don't know how to coach my guys around this. I don't know how to coach guys around. They come back and they tell me at the end of the day, like, well, we pack boxes, we pick product. How do we think big and make it happen? And um, so we we kind of talked through that a little. I listened to uh, what he was saying. I asked a question back. I'm like, well, how 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 are you doing? I see a number on your board back there that you had 98.7% accuracy or something like that. What would it mean to get to 99.7% accuracy? Well, that would be huge, actually, because it would be X amount of packages of accuracy. So, you know, they were proud of 98.7, but we wanted 100%, obviously. Yeah. And um, he, he, so we started talking about that. And he then was going back to his team and asking the guys, like, hey, what, what would it take for us to get 
1% better and get almost to that perfect level. Like we're going to shoot for perfection. What do we need to do better? Well, then the idea started to come. And, and what he learned was, is that think big and make it happen. Didn't have to be a million dollar idea in one chunk. It could be a million dollar idea over 10,000 occurrences or whatever, you know, it would take to get there. And so, uh, that was that was a lot of fun. And so that project then where our CEO was was meeting with these people turned into this. We started to define um, what it meant to be to think big and make it happen. We started to take it down to attitudes and behaviors and things that we could evaluate in the moment, not just like at an annual review, but like in a, in the moment of the day happening. Hey, you did great here. And that was awesome the way that you took charge or you made this decision to help out or, or change this thing. Or, or it could have been critical of saying, um, in the next time you do a presentation like that, let's make sure that you hit this, this or that. It, it made feedback real. And so how important is things like that in your experience? Well, I mean, just like you said about meeting one-on-one, you realize how far that goes when they go back into the organization? Uh, that's where I finally got out of the breakfast thing. They go back and they, and it spreads, you know, so people look forward to it. Uh, all of that's important, but I, I think you got to encourage, uh, you, you just hit a, a key spot. Uh, 1% doesn't sound like a lot, but you got to encourage them to, to try to do that because there's, you know, I, one thing I try to do is a little friendly competition you know, production lines, you know, you don't want quality to go away, but it's just, say, okay, this month we're going to bring in pizza for, whatever line does whatever right and just with the idea that you create an environment that they want to participate they want to win you know Uh, we had success with that at a client you know it was just 50 bucks or 100 bucks for a pizza whatever it was Uh, you know next month we're going to get it so that kind of thing so it's just it's just adding something to the workplace it's not just that mundane over and over doing the same thing over and over and nobody's listening to you, you know, because I'd ask him, why didn't you win? What, what do you, next question is, what can you do in this line to win next month? What, what's, what's lacking here? You know, and there'd be, there'd be always have answers, you know, scheduling, whatever it was. So it's just a matter of bringing the, bringing them out of themselves and part of it's listening to them. Yes, sir. Well, Martin, let me ask you this final question here, and then we'll we'll get into kind of wrapping this session up. But the question I wanted to ask is, um, can can excellence and fun go hand in hand? And and if so, how does how do those two work? I think it has to. I really do. I think it has to. If um, again, you share the results. You know, we when I had my company, we would bring in, uh, when we brought in a new account, it was huge. We didn't bring in small things. Apple was, we handled all the returns for Apple North America. Uh, you know, and it was, we made a big thing out of that. And, and yeah, we had fun with it. It was a lot of work and people had to, I mean, it was a lot of work. I had 75,000 feet under a warehouse. So it was a big deal. But we made it, we made a big deal out of it. We made a lot of fun with it because it, we were asking them to go above and beyond for a long period of time and we accomplished it, but they felt like they were part of something rather than just saying, go do this or else. Right. Yeah. So I think it has to be. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, they're not mutually exclusive. And, and I think when, uh, like for me, one of the things that, that I caught myself saying out loud 
when I had uh, taken on that role all the way back in 2009, I was like, I just want to have an opportunity to where I feel like we're, we were just kicking butt and winning every day to, because that to me was, was fun. Um, excellence to me drives the fun factor and, and it's fun uh, or, or fun can inspire those excellent moments, those excellence in, in quality and in service and in what we do on a daily basis. I, I totally believe those two go hand in hand too. So I, I want to thank you for, for something here that um, I, I just feel, I feel led to say this because the fact that you said you tried to retire a couple of times, I'm, I'm grateful that first of all, that we had a chance to connect and, and I've, thoroughly enjoyed learning more just even in today in, in this session here that I, I know so much more about what you did than before. And, and the fact that you are, you could be out playing golf every day, but you're choosing to leave behind your knowledge and, and share what your experiences are with others. I think that is one of the greatest gifts that we could ever do. And um, um, so thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Um, Martin, how do people get a hold of you? Where, where do they learn more about you? Where's, what's the best way to connect with you? Uh, my website, martinharsberger.com. It's easy enough. Uh, if they want to contact me, there's a contact form on there. I'll get back to you. Folks, I hope that uh, you had a, an opportunity to pick up on some of the wisdom that uh, Martin was sharing with us today. And we're going to wrap this podcast up and I, I look forward to catching you in uh, future episodes. Appreciate it. Man. Thank you. Thanks, Martin. Hey everyone, this is James, and I want to tell you about an upcoming virtual coaching program called Accelerate. It's for high-achieving, success-minded people just like you who demand greatness of themselves and expect it of everyone around them. Accelerate will help you drastically improve communication in your business, reduce bottlenecks and busyness, help spark innovation and even creative thinking, and absolutely maximize team performance. Now, Accelerate is for business owners, executives, it's for up and coming leaders, anyone who is wanting to advance their leadership and to build their business capacity in 2021. The training starts in February and space is limited. Learn more at jamesmayhew.com.